expanding the Nerdosphere, talking on everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films and everything in between. It's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia. Here we are at episode 138 of the Down and Nerdy podcast, and fall is in the air as we head towards winter and wrapping yourself in a nice warm tauntaun weather. And, you know, winter is coming, which means Sean Bean's going to die again. Yeah, I mean, it's just a seasonal event. It's like, you know, this Linus' speech during the uh, Charlie Brown Christmas special. It's Well, yeah, it's like, uh, you know, Groundhog's Day, you you pull the groundhog out of the thing, sees it's shit. It's like Sean Bean, he walks out of his house, he dies, you know, kind of a thing. Hey, if Sean Bean gets killed on one day, then five more months of winter, you know? (laughs) But hey, if he's in the prequel, we know he won't die. Yay! Yay! Oh, man. But, I mean, hey, let's, let's introduce ourselves, and I'll have you start off. I'm James Witham alongside... I'm Paul Bear, and you're not! <laughs> oh, you don't man. have nearly enough pounds on you to pull that off. No, I, I, I posted a, a shirtless photo. If you want, you go on my Instagram... <laughs> if you like shirtless uh, photos my, of one-armed men... <laughs> yeah, if you like shirtless photos of fit one-armed men, be sure to hit up my Twitter at Merc with one arm or my Instagram Merc with one arm it's in view and it's all there for you ladies. But... <laughs> There's something out there for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> but as always I'm the now shirtless Merc with one arm Nick Pataglia and you know man, last week was fun learning how to douche. It really was and especially once you go forward in the episode of Lucifer that, Lucifer that happened this past week, and Kevin Alejandro's role in that, man, he wasn't lying when he said what he said in our interview, did he? Where he said Lucifer's going to face off with Detective Douche. Yeah, man. I mean, you have that, that scene with Asriel's blade and just everything. All the frustrations Dan has with Lucifer just comes out at him. And it's just great, and it's really fun. I mean, and who knew? I mean, we kind of knew, but who knew that... You know, pudding was was so important to Dan's life. I didn't know that pudding for Dan and Eggos for Eleven were a thing. I mean, I didn't realize that it was that important okay. to his life. Real quick food talk here. Favorite type of Eggo, favorite type of pudding. Okay. Favorite type of Eggo, blueberry. Really? Uh, the blueberry, it's just like an explosion of blueberry flavor. And I'm not a huge blueberry guy. Do you remember? There's just something about those that are amazing. I, I swear to God they had these back in the day. I believe it was when Batman and Robin came out. They had the Batman Eggos. They had the Batman symbol in yes. the middle of them. Yes, they did. Yes. Yeah, those are great. I'm going to have to go home style, man. You know, especially Batman Robin style, the home style. You got to go with that. I'm not mad at that. No, I like that. Pudding? Pudding? I'm going butterscotch. Ah, you know, I think I got to agree, actually. I, I've always been a big butterscotch pudding guy. And speaking of pudding, we're going to dive into two new snack packs of comics. That's right, what we're reading is coming up next on the Down Nerdy Podcast. This is Chris Vance from Supergirl, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, nerds, it's that time we pull out our long boxes and we discuss what we're reading this week in James, you know, a, a series I've been looking forward to for a while, ever since Marvel Now was announced, uh, has been Thanos. Yep. And, of course, you know, Marvel's Thanos was released this week, and it's written by Jeff Lemire. Uh, art is done by Mike Diodato, and the color artist is Frank Martin. Letters done by VCs Clayton Cowles. And I'm just going to say this. I was really excited about this comic. I'm like, cool, it's Thanos. He's going to be this powerful being. He's going to destroy shit. It's going to be awesome. Not really much the case. So we find out that, you know, Thanos has been gone for quite some time. And pretty much uh, someone else, I'm not going to spoil who, but someone else takes his throne. And he's like, okay, Thanos is gone. I'm going to take over. I'm going to raise my armies. I'm going to do this. Thanos comes back and pretty much is brutal from the beginning. So you're kind of caught up in the beginning of, Oh, wow, cool, Thanos is back, he's more brutal, it's going to be like the reign of terror kind of thing, you know? Unfortunately, from there on out, you find there's a secondary story in that Thane, Thanos' son, what else is new, wants to go and try to kill his father. I mean, I was a little disappointed when you were telling me about this off the air, um, they were going to go that route, because I know that they went that route with one of their main arcs a couple of a few years ago, which I believe was Infinity, and that kind of revolved around around Thane a little bit. And I'm like, you know, it just seems like 
They've been down that road, and I get that that's an important dynamic, but I just wished, at least in the early going in this comic, that they could have found a more unique thing to go with. Right, and I think that, you know, an issue with this book that I had was just, when I read the story and I dove more into it, nothing really grabbed me. I mean, there's a big thing in the end that kind of, like, you know, adds to Thane's mission of killing his father and, of course, taking over. But even then, I'm kind of like, okay. Like, I wasn't like, oh, my God. You know, I was more like, all right. It didn't really grab me. If, if there's one word that really, really defines this book, and it's the word uninspired. I, when I was reading this book, I felt, okay, it's not bad, but I'm just reading this. I'm like, this is just like any other Thanos story you've read, whether it's Infinity or or what, or even just, you know, whenever you've seen Thanos – um, make appearances in other books and other series. It's just you get this moment of badassery in the beginning, like, okay, I'm strapped in, I'm ready to go. This is Thanos, he's gonna start running shit, he's gonna start ruling, he's gonna destroy people, he's gonna attack people in the Marvel Universe. And then it's not that. It's this more contained story. And it's and I'm kind of saddened by that. That's not bringing in some other people. Now it might later on in the run, but again, when you have Thane, you have this whole mission of Something's up with Thanos and, and, and all this other stuff. It doesn't give me as a reader, as a, a Marvel fan, you know, somebody, you know, it's like I said on the show before, I've been wanting to, you know, reach out to Marvel and say, hey, you know, revitalize your brand. Do something, you know, don't just, you know, say we're Marvel, we can put out anything because the latest series you guys have, they've put it out have not been that great. And it's sad that I've been looking forward to this thing. It's not a matter of my hopes got brought up all the way. It's just like a Thanos comic. Like maybe they're going to do something different. And there's a whole bunch of possibilities, but I think it's the fact that they're sticking to what have we done? How can we redo it? And stuff like that. And it's just, again, it's this uninspiring thing. Not only that, but I'm sorry, go ahead. And in terms of the art, you know, Diodato and, and Martin, it's very, it's not, it's very grounded. Like, if I had to describe it, if you've read the Vertigo Mad Max comics, mm-hmm. it's kind of like that. I mean, you've seen the art. I've showed yep. you with the comic the other night. But I think that when you look at it, it's really grounded. It's very brown. It's, it's kind of flat. Um, it's not re- utterly and massively defined. However, I will say the last page is the, probably the most defined and, and shiniest page, I'll say, in, all the, in the entire book. But overall, I mean, it's just, again, it's just... It's hard to get excited about this. Well, not only that, but I mean, when Marvel's answer lately has been to do something new, to completely redefine a character in looks and all, uh, and it seems like that's where the bread and butter is, and then when they try to, to do a story where you're leaving the character as they were in a certain way, and you're not doing this massive change, it's almost like they don't know what to do. And I mean, I hearken back to the Magneto run. I know that we, we bring this up every now and then, but I think it's a it's a good measuring stick for something like this, whereas you have a big bad, one of the biggest bads in the Marvel Universe, that they allowed him to be that, but at the same time, they gave him this other edge, and they gave this, and Cullen gave this unique story that he told, and humanized him a little bit. And I'm not saying you have to do exactly that with Thanos, but give us the character that we remember, but then give us a new spin on it that's interesting. You need to give on, to build on that, you need to get, if you're doing something with Thanos especially, and it really is with any character, if you're doing a series with any character... Give us a new spin on the character, but make it to the where it doesn't feel like we're detached from the character and what made the character right. so great. Right, it has great. to make sense. Right, and, and I think, like I said, it, I, I was teetering on, on what I want to give this, but it's tough because it's, it's like the, the story wasn't bad. It just was uninspired. The art was okay. It's not like, you know, it's hard for me to give us a drop because I'm like, maybe, you know, it'll, it'll turn and it'll get better in the next couple of issues. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to give this a pickup because okay. I, the, the only way I can give this a, a drop, like I said, I know I said this was uninspired and all this other stuff, but a part of me, because I've been looking forward to this series for so long, a part of me is going to give us a couple more issues. I'm going to give it to issue three. Okay. If it doesn't grab me by issue three, if they don't change up something by issue three, I'm done. But this is one of those moments where I'm like, I was looking forward to this series. 
I'm gonna extend a branch out to Marvel. I'm gonna give them three issues. And the, and as far as the cover price, this isn't like a massive like no, a five ninety nine book. No, right? this was four bucks. It was okay. three ninety nine. It wasn't five dollars. It was five dollars. I would been like, this is a definite drop and stuff like that. But uh, the, again, this this has not promise, but more hope that they're gonna kind of change it around, kind of go towards. Right. Some of the things that we've highlighted. But what did you do this week, bud? I decided to join the revolution once again because, you know, I can't not see G.I. Joe Revolution on the shelf and not grab it and give it a try. So let's dive in, shall we? It was written by Aubrey Sitterson, art by Giannis Milo Nagianis, and then colors by Laverne Kinzierski. There we go. Letters by Chris Mowry, and that is all. Woo! That was a tough road to go to. I feel like we need to give you, like, a hook down Fox books for names. Why do I read books that have the most complicated names every week? I can't I can't ever get John Smith or anything like that. No. <laughs> because you... Because you like to punish yourself. I apparently do, and it's 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 very, very bad. But that you're, doesn't mean that the book was bad. You're, you're Kevin Bacon in Animal House asking for another. Right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, they're asking for it in this book, too, because the Joes are... If you've been reading Revolution, you'll know what's going on. If you haven't been reading Revolution, there's, there's no way to not venture into spoiler territory for the Revolution arc as a whole. So bear with me here. But basically, uh, Scarlet. It has been through the ringer in Revolution. I think we can agree on that. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to figure out what's going on at the Earth Defense Command. Again, if you've been reading Revolution, you know what's going on. She doesn't really know what's going on at the point in this story. So what she's done is she's grabbed a very small team of people that she trusts. And the reason she needs a small team is because, again, Revolution, we don't know who's a diorate and who isn't. So she's trying to grab this small team that she knows she can trust to go find out what's going on from the Earth Defense Command because they're not responding. Right. Now, the team consists of Roadblock, Rock and Roll, Quick Kick, Wild Bill, and Shipwreck. Shipwreck looks totally different in this book. They kind of redesigned the character. Um, I don't hate it. It's pretty nice, actually. It's it's a very different look. He's got, like, more of the Deadliest Catch look. Right. Than, uh, than your normal Shipwreck look that you remember from the animated series and stuff clean, like that. So he's not, like, the clean-looking sailor? No, he's, he's full beard, man. Absolute full beard, hair's a little overgrown a little bit. No, not the clean does cut he, sailor. Does he still have his trusty sidekick? He does. He absolutely does. Who has a couple lines in the book, by the really? way. Really? So yep. here's something I'm interested in. I'm surprised that because we this is 2016 that we're living in, I'm surprised they didn't do, you know, a thing where they changed the, the actual bird into like a drone type thing. Nope. Actual bird. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. So that, that's one thing that I, that I loved about the book. Now, What's funny is is that you can kind of see in this book, and I'm glad that they used this to do this for uh, G.I. Joe Revolution, Scarlet's right there on the edge, man. She is right there on the breaking point of what the hell is going on well, in my life right now. Well, I mean, if you again, if you've read Revolution, as we have, and you know, we're all caught up on it, she has been on that edge really since issue one. And, and it's funny because you know how tough she is. I mean, if there's a tough female character, if there's, if you want to take a list of tough female characters in comics right now, Scarlet's right up there. Uh, and this, and this arc has proven that for sure. So basically, and the team's like, well, why don't you trust us? Not, the team doesn't understand really what she's been through, except for Roadblock, cause he's kind of been there, but the rest of the team's like, hey, uh, why aren't you giving us any of these details? Why don't you trust us kind of thing? And she's like, hey, need to know basis. So she turns into the commander at that point kind of thing. So when they finally get to the island, let's just say as things often do in comics, they don't really work out as far as the plan goes. You can draw it up one way, but it's not necessarily going to be executed that way. And, and one character that I did not expect to stand out in this book was rock and roll. Because they really give him a couple of moments in this book that are, again, something you don't necessarily expect from a G.I. Joe book that are just gut-wrenching. There's a couple things that he has to do and a couple decisions that he has to make in this story, both of which are pretty surprising moments in the book that I will not spoil, that just, you feel for the guy and what he has to do. And the decisions that he has to make, and then you say, well, and then you even say to yourself, well, was that the right decision? Was that the wrong decision? But then there's also the uh, another side to that that he shows something else that happens again that I don't really want to spoil, so it won't be spoiled for you when you read this book. 
where you kind of get you kind of get the full range of emotions from him. So it was very interesting that it, we kind of started out with heavy Scarlet, and then towards the middle of the book and towards the end of the book, rock and roll gets a nice uh, little feature. And you know he's like kind of the tough, you know, sons of anarchy type looking guy. Uh, to where you don't expect that from him. But what you get in the overall sense of this book is the bond that the Joes have just overall. And, and not just the bond that they have as soldiers, but as, as brothers and sisters kind of thing. You know, like they've known each other for a while. They've fought alongside with each other for a while. And that's very palpable in this book. How's the art in this? The art is not nearly as good as the main revolution run. Uh, and that's not a bad thing. Um, and, and I would say the Transformers art is better as well. The best way I can describe this, especially Scarlet's look that they gave her, uh, this, this goes deep into shows that we've done before. So you're going to have to backtrack to some of our past shows or past books that we've talked about. Picture like an, an attack on Titan meets Snowblind from Ollie Masters from Boom Studios. Okay. It's, it's kind of like a mesh of that. Like, Scarlet very much looks like she has that Attack on Titan uh, anime-type look. But then it has that that flat sense of, of art like Snowblind had. But right. it made sense in the core of the story. I'm not saying flat in that it was bad. It's not bad. It's just it's the way it's layered. It's layered like that for a reason to equate the emotion of what's going on. Right, and going back to Thanos, when I said flat, that's why I also meant was that you know, it wasn't bad. It was just the way that they use it to tell a story. That's how it that's how it was. It's yeah, just flat's the way, not the a way bad it looks. Thing. Flat's not a bad thing, you know. But I mean, uh, overall, what would you give this book? I would say that this is just another winner uh, in the in the in the Revolution canon. I mean, I think if you want to talk about major arcs in comics right now, I think IDW's kind of got the mark, market cornered, and I mean, uh, Aubrey Sitterson does a great job with the writing here. I love that this is where they're going to go with the Joes now, starting in December when the new arc starts for G.I. Joe. This is the direction they're going to take it now. And there's a, you've got plenty of action, sure, but then there's also that sense of family and honor and, and code and stuff like that that I love that they're going to bring to this book. So, again, you can't really make this a pickup because it's a one-shot, so buy it and keep on that revolution, man, because, I, I mean, the end is near, and I think that we're both really looking forward to it. And, James, you mentioned anime. Well, coming up next in this week in Geek Tame, we're going to be talking about the first live-action trailer for Ghost in the Shell, and we might have some other things planned as well. Stay tuned. More Down Nerdy is coming up. This is comic book creator Jerry Conway, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, nerds, we've got a double dose of geek talent this week, but Nick, before we head to Skull Island, I think we should check out Section 9. Yeah, of course, we're going to talk about the trailer for Ghost in the Shell, and before we dive into the trailer, I just want to say this. We've talked about the casting of Scarlett Johansson and a couple other characters weeks ago, you know, months ago when it was announced who was playing whom in the movie. We're not going to talk about that. If you want to hear that, go back to our previous show where we talked about it. Because right now, I just want to focus on this trailer because, as you mentioned, you know, Section 9. And, you know, I'm a big fan of Ghost in the Shell. I love the anime and everything else about it. And you watch the trailer in the beginning. And you look, if you've seen the 1995 anime, there are scenes from that movie in 95 that are so... Like, perfectly, I don't want to say ripped, but, you know, taken in a sense. Executed in a and way. Executed, yeah. yeah. Beautifully. Like, her jumping off of the, the skyscraper in the beginning of the trailer. And, and it's just really, I think it really looks fascinating just from the uh, inspirations that they're taking from the 95 film. And I think it's just so, I mean, I hate to use the word visually striking because we were talking about Doctor Strange. We're like, ooh, you know what that means? No, right. I, I actually think that it's visually striking in a way that it looks like it's giving you depth there. Not that Doctor Strange didn't, but it's just, it's so, you're intrigued by every single moment of this trailer and that's kind of what makes a good trailer especially a first one and you're intrigued by it because they have that japanese heritage they're set in tokyo japan so you have that cultural thing you know it's not like you know where you watch a blade runner or you watch you know uh total recall where it's like futuristic but it's still cyberpunk but you know, it's just, it could look like any city USA, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, with this, this is, I think, the main issue with Ghost in the Shell. Not really an issue, just uh, a hurdle that it has to clear. 
And that hurdle is, you know, when you see, especially today with technology, and when you do the whole cyberpunk theme and, and era, it's real easy to look at movies, again, like Total Recall, like Blade Runner, and even Ghost in the Shell, and watch them all the, back to back to back in either way and say, how are these, you know, different from one another in a sense? You know, you can get lost in saying, well, it's just another generic cyberpunk thing to where you can just splice it all in. You forget what you're watching. Yeah, I understand that, but I think that this uh, this movie has the chance to pretty much blow right past that. I mean, I think that this has a pretty decent shot of of not doing that. One thing I worry about is um, since well, going on the storyline of the actual uh, anime, yeah, with the with the investigation that goes on, if it becomes too procedural in the you know, because when you adapt something like this. The, the the crutch is to make it a little bit more of a procedural to make it safer for general audiences. Because remember, we've said on the show a thousand times, these kinds of movies also have to appeal to a mass right. audience. So if right. it becomes a little bit too procedural, that would be my only worry about it. Because let's face it, the trailer was action-packed. Like you said, there were scenes that were ripped almost right from the animated show fans. Like, see, we're going to do it right. And then if, but once the movie gets going, if it seeps into that trope, I'm, I'm going to be a little worried about that. Yeah, I mean, that's easily to be worried about. But I think that what they're going to do is they're going to, you know, especially with everything surrounding um, Motoko, there's a there's that mystery. There's always been that mystery of of you know who she really is and stuff like that. And and so there is a little bit of a mystery. But I agree with you. Make it too much of a procedural. Um, but you have to find that balance. I think between right. mystery and, and, and drama and action. I think that hopefully. I mean, again, it's a trailer, so we can't judge it uh, the whole movie by it. But it looks fascinating. Like, it looks technically fun. Um, it looks really, I think. Something that I'm I'm really happy for. I'm really excited about. Are we surprised at all that there's been no mention of Puppet Master yet? Uh no. It doesn't surprise me at all because I think that the main focus in Ghost in the Shell has always been the major. Remember, this is a while until this movie comes out. So you know. So I think that when you see this. And you see this trailer, they're more keen on setting up who the major is and just some of these other players. I think that maybe when you get to the final trailer or like mid, you know, middle of the mm-hmm. run when they're getting ready to release this, then you'll find out who, who, who Puppet Master is and everything else like that. As you mentioned, it could be Michael Wincott who on IMDb doesn't have a, a name next to, yep. you know, his, his actual actor, you know, name. So it could be him. We don't know. But again, I expect it to be really, Fun. My only concern too is is with Batu, uh, who's played by uh, Pilo Azbek. There's a part in the trailer where we see him have you know the cybernetics on his eyes and everything else like that. But then there's a part where we don't. So I'm like, please tell me it's not gonna be where he can like take him on and off and just you know not have those most of the, it, the film. It, it could be that, but it could they could also end up having a function where they can look normal at times or something like right. that for a or blending a in type of back or something. Right, exactly. It could be that. I mean, like you said, we've still probably got more. I mean, this this movie's not even getting released until March 31st, 2017. So I'm sure we're gonna have many more trailers to come, and they still have chances to make announcements and stuff. So I mean, you're right. I mean, it seems like we'll probably get Puppet Master. I'm just surprised that for the for the diehards. They they haven't already said, guess who's going to play Puppet Master uh, kind of thing. I think they're waiting for more of a reveal, but I mean, just everything from just the way it looks, the way it's shot, cinematography-wise, it looks really fascinating. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think that you can just tell that the you know the anime is really such a, a big focal point for this live-action venture of Ghost in the Shell. And again, you know, we talk about it off-air, like, you know, my main worry is, you know, shot for shot. I don't think it's going to be a shot for shot because there's a lot of things they can pull from in Ghost of the Shell. They can pull stuff from the manga. They can pull stuff from the animated film from 95. They have some other uh, more recent Ghost in the Shell movies. and oh, totally. And, and shows that were released in the two, early 2000s. So I think that they can, you know, find a nice mis- mix and match of, of all of those. Uh, real quick before we move on to our next trailer, one thing I do like about Scarlett Johansson uh, playing the major is that, it's going to come, you know, when you watch the trailer, remember, she's, you know, a cyborg, she's not human, she's AI, you know, for the most part. I mean, she has a brain, but I mean, that's really only a human part of, of her. It's going to be 
her little facial expressions. Like she's telling the woman, you know, maybe she'll make me better. Like you watch like how her mouth moves mm-hmm. and it moves the way she moves it is in like a very robotic way. And so it's like those little tiny things you pay attention to to where you're like, you know, wow, this is pretty good. I mean, remember, she was nominated for – people wanted her to be nominated for her for just playing a voice of a computer, yeah. you know? And so. just the way she moves in general, she has that ability right. to make you think that it's, it's you know, not – the movements aren't quite human. But then she also has the ability to jump into the, into that to where it makes it seem like it is. So it gives you that balance of having that cybernetic brain type thing. Right. So, I mean, and again, it's going to be something very, very interesting. But another trailer we're going to talk about, you know, we talked, of course, to Carlos Magno and James Asmus, who, of course, are the creative team behind Boom Studios' Kong of Skull Island. Well, we got our look at Kong and we got a look at really the real action of Kong Skull Island, the movie. Man, I gotta tell you, I was so excited because when we saw the posters, the posters, I was flipping out about that when Entertainment Weekly dropped the first image of Kong, excited about that. Then we got to see Kong in action. Man, let me tell you, you remember the excitement that you had when you saw the first trailer for Jurassic Park way back in the day? That's how I felt when I saw this. I'm like, oh my god, they're actually gonna do it. And then from reading that comic... You see these other creatures and even you see the tribes people and stuff like that and you're going, man, they are just, they're just doing, they're doing exactly what they're supposed to do. This comic really is going to set this movie up. And when you first see Kong, when we first saw Kong, we're like, we looked at each other, we're like, dude, that looks a lot like Carlos's Kong, the yeah. way he draws him. And so, I mean, you know, one thing, and this is one thing I think, is important when it comes to this movie. Now, it's, you know, you look at this, and one word that pops out to me is the word fun, because director Jordan Vogt Roberts, I think that he saw this story, he saw this property, and he's like, this is, in the end, a story about a giant-ass gorilla Mm -hmm. fighting monsters on an island, and there are humans involved as well. We need to have a little bit of fun with it. And the reason why I think Peter Jackson's was just so bland and boring was because it was too serious. It was taken way and, too serious. And it was seven hours long. I mean, Pretty come much. on. I, mean, I remember the first time I watched it, I'm like, geez, this movie's still on? Yeah, What's going like, on here? Right. You know, I mean, I, I was you know, I was 10 by the time the movie started, and my balls dropped by the time it ended. So right, I mean, exactly. I mean, these are the things that you wait for. But uh, <laughs> I'll be honest, when, when you see John C. Riley in the trailer, I'm like, he's going to add that Jeff Goldblum-type oh, yeah. flavor to this movie that, again, Again, Jeff Goldblum brought to Jurassic Park originally, and you've got to have that. And I love that John Goodman's the guy. I was like, "Yeah, I knew. I just didn't say anything." Kind of right. guy. I'm like, "What?" Well, well, John Goodman. I think he's going to be. I think remember he was in uh, was it 13 Cloverfield Lane, yep. and you know I think he's going to be pulling a little bit of that character into this kind of like that. Maybe he's going to be that one unhinged guy kind of thing, or you know, like there's something out there kind of a thing, and. And, you know, John C. Riley again, he's going to be the comedic effect. You know, he's like, you know, he points out, like, Kong is, you know, a leader. He's this. You know, he minds his own business. So, really, what's great is they're making Kong, and I like this. I like that they're making Kong not really out to be an enemy of the humans. Right. Making him an enemy of these lizard-type things, which, look, fucking fascinating. Right, but, I mean, you talk about not being the enemy of the humans, but remember what Tom Hiddleston said in the trailer they were ta- when they were talking about dropping those well, you could call them bombs it's a, yeah, all this a perspective, and he says that was probably a bad idea so that there is a Kong, apparently Kong knows what's going on in his world, and if he sees these helicopters and humans dropping what he, what looks like bombs on his home he's not going to be happy about that. No, you see, he throws a tree through one of the helicopters. Yep. Right. I mean, yeah, you know, it's uh, yeah, it's not really one of the most, uh, I'll say, uh, uh, you know, friendly moments of the movie. No, but uh, no, you know, you have Samuel Jackson there, and I, again, I think that this is really playing off of the, or it's going to play off of the fun aspect, knowing what it is and being aware of what this property is. I mean, you see, just the way it's shot, you know, bring up the cinematography again. You know, you see the fire and the the little smirk and the pilot's glasses and his mm-hmm. face and everything else. So you kind of like, and again, it's it's that self-awareness of what it is that I think is going to make this a really fun film. And again, as you mentioned, you have the tries people in there. It's going to be, I think, really 
fascinating. Again, we're reading the comic. We love the comic series. So we're going to be watching this thing like, how are they going to tie this to the comic? In what way? You know, and right. stuff like that. Right. And what's good about that, too, is is that if because there's this comic series, your chances of having any flashbacks in this movie probably pretty slim. And if you do have anything, it'll probably be really, really quick. So I'm actually, that's one of the reasons I'm glad they did the comic in the first place. Not that everybody knows about it and is reading it, but you have the opportunity to get this backstory or a little bit of backstory in the comic should you choose to do so. Can you imagine if Buddy the Elf was somehow putting this and go with me on this, but he just looks at the, the Kong and just goes, have you seen these apes? They're ginormous. <laughs> I don't think Buddy would last very long. No, he'd be like, he'd be trying like, to hug, like the hug Kong. He's trying to hug the raccoon, and Kong just rip him in half. Although you know, Papa would have Kong sit on Buddy's lap and he'd be like, "Now you know what it's like." Yeah, bitch, you know what it's like all those years. You've been breaking my legs for decades, and now look at you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but that's gonna do it for our review, our discussion about Ghost in the Shell and Kong Skull. I'm coming up next with a whole bunch of Marvel news. And could Disney be owning a streaming service? Find out next on Down and Nerdy. Hi, everyone. This is artist Nicholas Scott, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy podcast. Well, James, it's time to sit in the boardroom and discuss transactions because it's time for what? Nerd news! And this is a story that really, I think, hits close to a lot of people. Uh, especially if you work in the studio industry. So we all know that Netflix is pretty much the biggest streaming service out there. And we did a story a little while back that said, hey, they want to make at least 50% of their shows original content. Now, of course, that's going to drive up the cost for things. And Netflix is kind of like, well, how can we, you know, how can we do this and not, you know, lose money on it and everything else like that? And also had not to put subscriptions through the roof. Well, apparently, this is just a rumor, but apparently Disney is in talks or is really interested in acquiring Netflix, and that's a big issue. And James, you know, this is something that's close to both of us, so I'm going to let you, because I know that this really hits, I think, closer to you. Uh, I'll let you take the run point on this. Listen, and this is according to multiple sources, by the way, um, so there's no real source to, to quote here, but just think about what this would mean if Disney buys Netflix. Forget the fact that the, one of the reasons this listed, which is the, one of the dumbest reasons ever to do anything, one of the reasons that's listed for Disney wanting to buy Netflix is ESPN, who is a Disney property, is the, their ratings are down and they're losing right. subscribers, so they're losing views. I'm like, you're going to buy Netflix because ESPN is sucking? That's a stupid reason to do anything. And here's the other thing, man. They're also saying, well, they're only doing this because of the whole AT&T and Time Warner merger. That might not even happen. It has to get approved. And there's already been a bunch of people in the government that have said they are want, they want to stop that and probably will stop that. So let's just throw that out the window as well. Uh, think about what will happen to Netflix if this happens. You think somebody like Time Warner or other people are going to want to give Disney their money to put their shows on Netflix now? You know, you're going to lose everything. Most of the stuff that you have on there now. And if most of the Disney stuff, look what Disney does to their movies and their properties. How many times have movies been re-released from Disney? Oh, right. You know, it's like, oh, well, now it's in 3D. Oh, well, now it has a digital copy. Now it's remastered. Now it's longer. Now it's shorter. What the hell, man? Now I mean, it has, now God. It has this commentary, that commentary, and coming soon, you know, Beauty and the Beast, Diamond Edition, or Rose Petal Edition. Like, what the fuck? It's just the same thing, you know? It's And that's, that's true. Is Disney, what they do is they constantly do the... They make the Disney Vault seem so spectacular because they rarely, you know, release their stuff. Yeah, on and then DVD they take it away else. and then bring it back, kind of right. thing. Right. Here's here's the problem with that. Disney, you know how it seems like more and more nowadays, people are like, oh, I don't need to own this or own that because I've got Netflix, I've got Hulu, blah blah blah. Disney has a decade long history of letting you know they want you to own their properties, whether it be Blu-rays, VHSs, DVDs, right. whatever. They want you to own their properties. Think about 
what that's going to do to the price of your Netflix subscription. Right. Or the ability to be able to use it. And, and also, they have Key Chest as well for their Disney Movies Anywhere type thing. How does that tie in? There's a lot going on here because if you have to start, start paying to access your Disney vault of movies that you already have, that's a problem too. Right, and that's the thing is that you look at this whole possible transaction. So say, for instance, let's just run a, a, a hypothesis here. Let's just run a, a test here. Say Disney does acquire Netflix. I want to point out something you said. A problem is if you're a studio like Warner Brothers or whomever and, you know, you want to put your show or your movie or whatever have you on Netflix, you're really, again, you're really going to want to pay Disney. That's your direct competitor. Right. It's like if you're Burger King and you go to McDonald's and you say, hey, I want to, you know, create this burger that's kind of like the Big Mac or whatever, but I want to put it on your value meal or vice versa. And I want you to, you know, run this on your menu. Oh, okay, but you're going to have to pay us for, like, every burger sold or every right. whopper sold that's on right. our menu. You know, it's, it's, it's like that. And it's, it's horrible, man. It's like it, – it's, it's kind of like – you know what it is? It's like going to school and – paying the bully your lunch money like and that's that's what it is you're like I, I i have to eat but my only way i can eat is if by and survive the day is by giving money to this bully and hopefully i can find some scraps along the table and that's what disney's starting to look like is the bully it's like well if something doesn't work for us we'll just or if this person's yeah, we'll buy doing it. too much we'll just buy it and i know that you know there's been mentions of like well look what amazon's doing and now google's starting to get in the mix and stuff like that Listen, people, that's okay. That's also, what's supposed to happen. And you also have to look at what Disney owns. Disney owns Lucasfilm. They own Marvel. They own a bunch of shit. So you think like, oh, we can watch a Marvel thing on here. Yeah. Guess who owns it? Disney. Oh, right. we can watch a Pixar movie. Guess who owns it? Disney. So, I mean, right. you know, that's the thing. It's, it's like Disney owns a variety of stuff that, you, you know – on the bigger context, and also you have to look at Netflix too. Like Netflix, a lot of the movies they're putting out there isn't aren't the best stuff, you know. But I mean, it's still out there. But again, it, it's just this whole worrisome thing of a studio owning a streaming right. service uh, that doesn't. It's not just if, if Disney said, okay, we're going to do a streaming service, but we're just going to do it just for Disney stuff, like Disney XD, uh, Marvel stuff, whatever. Cool, fine, awesome. But no, not when it comes to you know other studios and you're talking about possible monopolies and stuff like that. That's not cool with me. But something that is kind of cool with us is something that we predicted actually that would happen. The Inhumans. Now, of course, Phase 4 was supposed to have the Inhumans movie, but due to a lot of things, got pushed back, got pushed back, got pushed back. Mm-hmm. Saw them make an appearance on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Well, now, James, in 2017, September of 2017, the Inhumans are going from the big screen to the small screen, even IMAX as well. Yeah, absolutely. They're going to release, I think it's the first two episodes are going to be on IMAX where you can go in there and and have like the cinematic feel of the Inhumans and stuff like that, which I think is really cool. I mean, Game of Thrones has done it, Walking Dead's done it, so why not have uh, Inhumans do the same thing? And I think they're, this is kind of like a make good for everybody that wanted an Inhumans movie and wanted to be able to see them on the big screen. So Marvel's like, don't worry, we're going to put it at first two episodes in on the big screen. You'll still be able to see the royal family on the big screen. But I'll tell you what, we just talked about the rating yep. ratings for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. might be in trouble. I think they're etching the gravestone now as we speak for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. They're, they're cut, Yeah, they're cutting out the rock for the tombstone for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I think, because... Remember, there was talk we talked about last week that Ghost Rider might be popping onto Netflix or jumping ship somewhere else. You know, and again, you know, you, you set the same with the Inhumans, you have Quake on there already, so you can just take Chloe Bennett and move her to the Inhuman show, and, and that's pretty much it. Now, it would suck to lose, you know, Coulson, it would suck to lose Fitzsimmons and totally. stuff like that. You know, and, and, and it would suck to, it would suck to lose. Uh, Brett Dalton, because, you know, he's still floating out in space somewhere. <laughs> hey, you never know. They could find a way to bring him back with this whole Inhumans thing. You just, <laughs> you just don't know, man. It's like, like you said, it's comics, man. It's like, you don't know. <laughs> Brett Dalton is Black Bolt. I mean, hey, I mean, he formed himself in the universe somehow. He was floating out there, and all of a right. sudden, bam, there he is. But the one thing that I think will be very interesting, because we've talked about this with Supergirl and all the other shows, you bring in the royal family, okay, think about who's in the royal family. That's a potential for a pretty hefty price tag. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, Black Bolt, Medusa, of course, the top two, and then everybody else. It's just, I mean, Black Bolt in himself. Right. Just, just like when you read Black Bolt's powers and what he can do, like, yeah, that's, he's pretty goddamn powerful. So, I mean, it's just, when you look at this, you look at, you know, the price tag, what they're going to have to do just with the powers. I mean, Medusa alone with her hair being able to, you know, pretty much pull a rag man and just go out and just grab shit. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, you know, it's just one of those things where you look at this and it's going to be interesting to see. But, yeah, you know, again, Marvel's Most Wanted didn't take off. It, it was supposed to happen, didn't happen. Shield's ratings are down. Like, now here's a possibility. Could Inhumans, like, be aired after Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? I mean, how long do they give? <sighs> how long would they give Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? That's the question. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.'s been on life support for a couple seasons now. Even though the storyline has gotten way, way better, they've improved the show so much, but, I mean, they, they keep trying and trying and trying with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and the viewers just are not responding. So, I don't know, man. I don't know if you, if you do that or if you just move on from it entirely. Maybe you pluck a couple of the more popular characters and try and work them in. But, I mean, how much of this is going to be on Attilan and how much of this is going to be in, like, say, a New York City type thing? Where is this Inhumans thing going to take place? So we need to find that out before we can find out which cast members can actually make that shift. Because remember, in the comics, Daisy's supposed to become, um, well, Quake is supposed to be a high-ranking person in shield so is shield still even going to exist are they just going to are they going to make shield more of an mcu type thing i don't see them doing that it just doesn't seem like agents of shield is a popular enough property and the ratings show that to keep it around i mean you just look at just the i think marvel right now is looking a little under pressure because again it's kind of like well, what do we do here and where how can we kind of find a way to blend these two, these two shows in you know a story we're going to talk about later uh, is kind of, you know, share the idea of like, hey, let's have one show, follow the other one, and see how that goes. But I think you look at the Inhumans and what they want to do, and you look at the Inhumans in general, I understand people were really excited about the movie, but really the Inhumans, I think, fit more on television. Totally. They totally. do. They do, with the royal family and everything else. And, I mean, there are other possibilities as well. And, again, people can't forget everything in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is connected, even the TV shows to some extent. So it's hard to, to believe that this won't be attached to the MCU some way, somehow. And I think that that's okay, too. But I think that in the main storytelling of the actual Inhumans, this is the way to go. So I do give them props for going that route. Although and I will say, sorry to cut you off, I will say this. Um, when it, if, if and when they show Medusa and Black Bolt getting together, that's pretty weird because she's his distant cousin. Well, so. here's the other thing, too, and maybe that plays into that. How worried are we that this is on ABC? Yeah. Think about that. Think about some of the stuff that the that they're going to have to do in an Inhuman series or should be doing. If they have to dull it down, I'm not saying it's the most intense Marvel property by any stretch, but there right. are certain times where it gets pretty dark and it gets pretty ugly. And I'm not sure putting it at 10 o'clock is going to matter. There's going to be certain things you might have to do. Like when they put Legion... On, uh, on FX. Again, I know that's a Fox property, but you put something like that on there because you know it's going to be more intense and there's certain things that you're going to have to do that you can't do on network TV. You could do that on FX. X- FX has a long history of stuff like that. So I, just putting it on ABC, I worry about that too. And they call it Cousin Love. <laughs> well, they'll never be able, even be able to touch Game of Thrones when it comes to oh, that. Oh, yeah. So. <laughs> it doesn't hold really a candle to <laughs> Game of Thrones. It's not even close. I think that I think the world is just kind of okay. <laughs> with the, I, mean, I was like, well, I like what they did on Game of Thrones. I guess this is fine. <laughs> right. It's, 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 you imagine, like, oh, that's disgusting. Two cousins married. If you want, but I love, it's like, do you love Game of Thrones? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of ends the argument right there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Same with the Marvel realm. Going to the comics realm, let's talk about Darth Maul. Now, Darth Maul, I think, listen, the prequels aren't the best things, or actually, I find pretty horrible. But Darth Maul, I think, was the only shining light in it. And now he's going to get a 
comic series written by our good friend Colin Bunn about his origins and just prequel stuff. And it's going to be, I think, pretty pretty awesome in terms of how Darth Maul came to be. Absolutely. And, of course, Luke Ross is going to be doing the art for this as well. And, I mean, they released the cover art. It looks pretty darn good to me. And I think that, I mean, a lot of people don't even don't know or forget that there was, there was a Darth Maul comic at Dark Horse when Dark Horse still had the Star Wars properties. But, I mean, it was a different kind of story. But this one actually going to dive into the origin and i know there's been fan films and stuff like that we all know that's not the same okay so we've been looking for right. something like this for a long time and people have talked about well you know is there going to be a darth maul movie at some point because of of disney having well, the properties and stuff like that and i think that this this is a something that the fans have wanted but b this is the toe in the water of okay how much do people really care about Darth Maul? Well, remember he, you know, he, he was part of the, you know, TV shows that were there. He was also, you know, there was that canceled Darth Maul video game that wasn't yep. released. I mean, you're right. He was part of Star Wars Rebels, so there's a little bit of a little bit of that going on. So I mean, it's not like there's been nothing from Darth Maul for a while. So I agree with that. Of all of Star Wars fans, I think there is kind of a one. I can I can only speak for myself personally, but I think there is a one, especially I know for me of just. You know, how Darth Maul came to be, and just his origin, and everything else like that. And, you know, again, he's one of those characters, or even when he was in Episode 1, didn't really learn much about him. There wasn't a lot of no. background on him. So I think this is a perfect idea and a perfect chance for somebody like Colin to grab the reins and give him some backstory. Not only that, but, I mean, see the training he gets with Darth Sidious and stuff like that. There's been reports that there's going to be a Jedi that he's going to try and turn the, to the dark side in this series. So there's just a lot going on, and we don't have to wait until February. That's not too far away. So it's going to be really interesting to see how long. I mean, I know this is supposed to be, what, a limited series, so it'll be very interesting to see if it sells. You know what happens with Marvel? If it sells well, it's everywhere. Look at Spider-Gwen. So, I mean, you never know. Where this could happen. So if you if you want more Darth Maul, you buy the book, you're going to probably get more Darth Maul. Well, we did see him in DC. That is true. We did, we definitely did see him. And the line was crazy. I mean, I was like, geez, I liked Darth Maul a lot, but I'm surprised that Ray Park's line was so constantly busy. Right, but I mean, it's, it's, it's Ray Park. He's awesome. So, that's true. I mean, that's into that. But yeah, I can't wait to read this, this comic. I think uh, something Marvel does really well is Star Wars comics. And uh, again, I, you know, reading the um, regular Star Wars run and the Darth Vader run that ended recently, I mean, they're both really, really solid. So I think that, hey, why not tackle Darth Maul? It'd be yep. a great opportunity. But, you know, speaking of, of tackling things, something that, that Legends of Tomorrow hasn't been able to tackle really are good ratings, at least for this season, because they were. They had like a .8 something last season, now they're down to like a .65 in the key demos of, you know, 18 to 49. And so what they're doing now is saying, hey, you know, later this season, they're going to be moving from Thursday nights to Tuesday nights at 9 p.m. after The Flash. Now, this, I think, is an all-ditch effort to say, okay, let's one final thing, how can we save it? And, you know, and again, putting it on after The Flash and allowing those people to carry over who watch The Flash Live like we do, carry over into Legends, I think it's a good mm. thing. And hell, it might be a great thing, you know? I mean, who knows? It could be, I think, the saving light that this thing needs. There are times where I forget that Legends is on on Thursdays. Yeah, I do the same thing, which is weird, which is why I have, like, the DVR set to record it automatically just in case I forget kind of thing. But I think that this is, I don't know why they didn't try to do this before. I'm surprised that they waited this long to do this. I mean, I know you want to try and stretch it out, throughout the week, but this just seems like the right answer, and I think that Legends of Tomorrow has actually taken a nice step and, and become a really entertaining show, but I mean, you've got you've got every reason to cancel it, though, if it's not working. I mean, you've got a large cast. I mean, I'm not, I know that there's not really a lot of big money people on the cast, but you've got a large cast. If you do cancel it, you can move some of the more popular cast members onto different shows or have them appear in certain ways, or you know darn right well if one DC show falls, they've, got a, they've probably got six more right. lined up waiting to replace they so if you that, lose Legends, something else is going to take its place. They got that Booster Gold show right and ready for you. Ah, well, better that than on than on uh, than in the cinematic universe. That's all I have to say. So just oh, keep keeping them out of the cinematic universe. There, there are universe. two films. I know one there's uh, you know Leonardo DiCaprio is supposedly going to be producing it, but there are two films I really want to have happen just because I want James to have to sit in the theater and watch it. One being Captain Planet, the other Booster Gold. So please, ah. execs, you know if you're hearing this now. Please make these movies happen because I wanted to see James Ace with them fucking twist and turn in his seat. That that Captain 
Planet movie's gonna happen too. I'd love to say that it's not gonna. You sound so defeated. Uh, yeah, well, the second I saw Leonardo DiCaprio, I said, "Damn it!" <laughs> it's kind of like getting test results. Tell me slowly, Doc. Just, just, just you know, no holds barred. Well, Mister Witham, you suffer from lack of earth, wind, fire, water, and heart. Well, I mean, when you when you see him up there giving speeches to like NATO and stuff about climate change, just like. You kind of know that if he's if he wants to do this, it's going to happen. Right. And he's got the money, too. He could self-fund this if he really wanted to. So, yeah. All, yeah. I'm, saying is, all I'm saying is, once you get that Captain Planet pop, you know what the fuck you're getting for Christmas. Yeah. I wonder oh. what's going to happen. I wonder what will happen if I burn it. <laughs> you know how like, people light peeps on fire right, and put right. it on YouTube? I wonder what that would look like. Well, I, Although I, think, I don't condone that with your pops. No, but I think what would happen is that Captain Planet would have a single tear running down the side of his face. That's he'd, right. He'd be going, why, James? Why? <laughs> and I'll dress as the crying Indian when I light him on fire. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then, but then, uh, but then, <laughs> but then you get the, uh, karma's a bitch and you get like a, a letter in the mail from like the EPA or something like that that like you get fined like $100 for burning a Captain Planet pop. Well, then there's that. Well, it's in a controlled environment. People have fire pits in their backyard. <laughs> Still, man, it's it's. I don't think how you can do that. But I mean, hopefully, going back to Legends, man. Again, the second season's been really good. The addition, I love the addition of Steel. Vixen's been fantastic. Oh yeah. You know, the thing they did last week with Obsidian was great. I mean, they really, I think, righted a lot of what was wrong with season one. But I, you know, it's Sarah taking over the team now, and, and wondering how this is going to go. And again, you have this dynamic. Now, one thing I do wish that they do kind of pull back on a little bit. Is that every time Sarah sees Damien Dark, she wants to kill him. I'm like, come on, Sarah. Like, I'll have so I much strength. Yeah, you understand it. And I'm, I'm sure that there's some latent uh, uh, Lazarus Pit stuff kind of still lurking in there in a certain respect. But, yeah, I think that that kind of needs to slow down and, and stop a little bit. But I think once we get the whole legion of doom thing really rolling i think that they'll probably get away from that because they're really bringing that on slowly i wish they would pick up the pace on that just a little bit too and that's gonna do it for this week's edition of nerd news come next we're heading to the world of final fantasy 15 because ray chase who's one of the voices of the characters in final fantasy 15 will be joining us to talk about the new square enix game it's coming next on down nerdy podcast this is Robin Lord Taylor from Gotham, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. One of the games we've been looking forward to for a long time. I think it's easy to say Final Fantasy XV because it's a franchise that's very near and dear to the hearts of Nick and I. And hey, we've got the voice of Noctis on the show this week. It's Ray Chase. How you doing, man? Hi, guys. I'm doing really, really well. Sorry if it's a bit echoey in here. I'm in an empty room. Just moved in. Ah, uh, the perils of my moving. dog, Milo. Yeah. It's so great <laughs> to be on the show. Yeah, man, you've done a lot of work for both video games and anime. It's two genres that I think it's safe to say have very passionate fan bases. Mm -hmm. So how would you describe them both and kind of what makes them unique? As far as fan bases go? Oh, yeah, I know you've met plenty. Yeah, well, yeah, I've been doing cons for about the last four months or so now, uh, especially for my anime work. And, man, they're super supportive. The, the fans are just incredible. I'm, I'm able to just talk with them all day on Twitter. You just get uh, all these people asking questions, not just about you know the nuts and bolts of the game or of the the uh, the show itself, but about like uh, about me and my thoughts. And I'm like, well, I'm just an actor. Am I allowed to have thoughts? It's very very interesting. And people know the stuff really really well, and they follow along, and they're able to show me. Things that I don't even know about. This thing just happened yesterday, apparently in World of Final Fantasy. I don't know if you guys know, I play. I also play Edgar from Final yep. Fantasy VI. Yep, um, yep. And they put in a little Easter egg where if you click on his character description, it says, voiced by a true Final Fantasy fan. Nice. <laughs> my heart, but I didn't know that. I, I, I haven't played the game yet. just came out. And I, I had no idea. I wasn't. I didn't know that they they knew about me or anything like that. It's so cool to see uh, stuff like that. And that's all because of the fans pointing this stuff out for me. It's just it's so nice of them. And you know, as we all know, Final Fantasy games over the years have had many iconic moments. Of course, from the opera scene to Aerith being killed by Sephiroth, which still makes me cry like a baby. Yeah. Uh, what makes 
Final Fantasy XV both unique and just iconic, like so many of the other games? The well, there's the, of course there's the obvious points. There's okay, this is the first action RPG, but still with a ton of strategy elements, just like your classic Final Fantasy games. What I really like about this one in comparison to, I would say, all the rest, even Final Fantasy One, like the story is complex for such a small how how small that is. It's difficult to know what the heck is going on. With this one, there are twists, there are turns, there are emotional moments, but it is not as convoluted as a lot of the other ones were. Final Fantasy VII, everyone played that game, but I don't think anybody can really tell you what the heck the plot was. Mm -hmm. What it was really. This one's much more about character development than it is some crazy highfalutin Falci versus Lissi plot twist sort of stuff. I really like that for that fact. It's It's a very, very emotional story. Well, you talk about it being very character-driven, so let's talk about the character that you've been living with, and that's Noctis. For people who might not be familiar with him just yet, and maybe who haven't seen uh, Kingsglaive, the movie, the Final Fantasy movie, and haven't been introduced to him yet, talk about him a little bit. Give us a little background on him. Uh, Noctis is really cool. He's he's a, a young guy, a prince, grew up in royalty, He but not seeing much of the outside world, very much like a, the Buddha sort of story. And... He has a lot of pressure on him because he is going to become king. He's uh, the, I think the 13th in the line of Lucis uh, for protecting the entire city of Insomnia. It's it's an extremely ta- it's not good to, it's not good to be the king. Unlike Mel Brooks, uh, <laughs> nice. It, it is an extremely taxing, very arduous role. And Noctis growing up knowing that this has to happen to him someday. That someday he has to take on this insane responsibility so in response instead of being uh, such a a downer all the time he's actually kind of goofy and awkward and just kind of you see most of his time just spent especially if you watch the anime um trying to find his way in this world socially how does he talk with girls how does he hang out with friends what does he do for fun that sort of stuff i really like that for that uh, side of him that we get to see him uh, kind of relaxed and in the moment instead of always fighting for the right and all that sort of stuff. And you'll stay on the topic of your character Noctis. You know, you, we all know you voiced him in the game Final Fantasy Fifteen, but also, as James mentioned, in the film Kingslave. So, which is, of course, go, goes alongside the game. So even though they both have Final Fantasy Fifteen in their title, did you find yourself having to kind of approach both projects differently because one's a game and one's a movie, even though they're based kind of pretty much on the same property? Um, they're, they both take place at the same time, time, same, uh, character designer, Tetsuya Nomura. So there wasn't that much of a difference between the movie and the game. Um, and even, uh, in terms of everything for all the actors, for me specifically, Noctis isn't in the movie very much. Um, so that was, it was pretty easy, uh, to do. Did the movie takes place while Noctis is away on his wedding trip? to marry Luna. Now, I saw a post that you had on Twitter, Ray. Of course, we're talking to Ray Chase of Final Fantasy XV, which will be released on November the 29th on PS4 and on Xbox One. And I saw a post that you had when you were talking about cutscenes in the game. So, how do you feel about the use of cutscenes in general in games, and what makes them work so well in this particular game, Final Fantasy XV? Yeah, it's interesting. That that post got a... I think that was even a reply. No, no, it was a retweet. Just saying, because Kotaku played it, and they said they really enjoyed the cutscenes. And I agree with them. Um, I mean, of course, I haven't played the whole game at all. Um, but as far as what we worked on, um, in comparison to, say, the 13 series, which I thought was rife with so many cutscenes that were devoid of emotion, that were kind of confusing, informational, rule-based about this world and what the rules were about being branded and stuff like that. And you just didn't care. And then it would be a five-minute cutscene, and then you'd walk literally outside the room, and then it would it would cue another cutscene. I really didn't like that. I think that's not at all how you tell a story in the interactive medium. Um, what this game does differently is there's lots of little cutscenes, maybe 30 seconds to a minute. Um, even like the big ones are, I think, maybe three or four minutes at the most. Um, I'm not entirely sure because I haven't seen all of them. But they are 
they're integrated seamlessly with the gameplay. So you're not putting your controller down and walking out of the room because it's just a bunch of meaningless babble. It's, oh, there's a reason for this cutscene. There's a reason why something really in- interesting and emotional is going to happen in this cutscene. So I'd, I'd better pay attention. That, I think, is the best way that you can use cutscenes. And this 15 does it really, really well. When you're brought into work on a project that has just numerous entries like Final Fantasy, has such a rich culture like Final Fantasy does, what's the biggest pressure or hurdle you yourself may have to face when you go into that booth for the first time? First time? Oh, man. my The first time working on this, I worked on the demo two years ago, and I definitely felt, I mean, the director and everybody, the nicest people, but I felt going into that booth, oh, my gosh, what I'm going to record will be played by millions of people over the course of 10, 20 years. I don't know what the heck. I really hope I'm doing a good job. That was one of my first ever times in a professional booth setting. So yes, I definitely felt the pressure, and especially during the auditions too. (laughs) Absolutely. Now I saw on Twitter, Ray, that you're a dog lover, and I saw your dog named Milo, who we were talking about before we we got started because you just moved. Now I can't help but wonder, Ray, if Milo could enter the world of Final Fantasy... What would his character name be, and what would his abilities would he have? <laughs> Milo's a lot like Angelo from Final Fantasy VIII, uh, Rinoa's dog. Um, did you see pictures of him? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. A short little little dog. Um, he actually, he might be in the game. I don't know. Um, he's, Ooh. Um, <laughs> I don't mean in a real sense. I mean in he sat with me in the booth at, for every single session. Wow. Um, so I, I would always bring him in. He had a little bed that he'd sleep right next to me while I, while I recorded. He wouldn't make a sound, but who knows? Maybe during one of the takes, there's a little doggy breath in there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think Nick can attest to this. My dogs would never be able to do that in a million years. Uh, <laughs> They're too loud, man. <laughs> the slightest tap on his door, Ray, like yeah. sends his dogs into a yeah. Like they go... Gosh. They're very protective of their day. <laughs> yeah, my dog's definitely a people person. So uh, I think he'd be like a cheerful dog like uh, like Renoa. There's a really funny gif going around on Twitter, where which is the um, – do you guys see the Omen trailer? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's a, it's, a, it's captioned, when I see a dog, and it's that shot of not – zoom in slowly on, the, on Prina and then uh, him, him crashing his car and flipping over. Really <laughs> I'm that kind of a dog lover. Oh, oh wow. I got a dog! Wow. Driving on the 405 mill of traffic. Hey, there's a dog! Gotta get out! <laughs> yeah. You know, Ray, you know, you've voiced many characters over your career. Now, have you ever been in a conversation with someone or just reading aloud somewhere, not in the booth, but just in public, and you just slipped into character at random? I... Oh, man, I'm trying to think of a concrete example. I wouldn't do it too much, um, but definitely on the phone, it's a lot easier to get away with stuff. If you want to project an air of confidence, if you're calling Time Warner right now, you really need to get your air out of time. There's a lot of things. I think on the because I don't look particularly like the, a lot of the characters that I voice, so it's a lot easier to just do that sort of thing on the phone. Um, but definitely with friends, we're always uh, we're always doing impressions of each other. That always comes up the most. Oh yeah, like uh, if you know Robbie Damon or Max Middleman, other voice actor friends of mine. Max plays Saitama in One Punch Man. Robbie's uh, plays Prompto in Final Fantasy. We're always answering the phone as each other. <laughs> Like, oh my gosh, Robbie left his phone here. Let me see if I can uh, if I can trick his girlfriend into thinking it's him. And and it works. It works. We do some pretty good impressions of each other. It's not bad. I've seen. I saw Morgan Freeman on your credits. I think. How do you not go Morgan Freeman like all the time? I would. I do. That comes up. I don't know how it turned out, but in some part of my life, I I did a Morgan Freeman impression. And then people kept asking for it for things, and I just did it for. <laughs> uh, oh, what's the YouTube channel? Uh, Freddie Wong guys uh, who do the ah um, uh, whatever. It's uh, it's Trevor Trevor from Grand Theft Auto VR, a little parody video, and I do Morton Feedman uh, at the end. I get seven million views right now. Um, it's uh, it comes up, it comes up a lot, but I'm not 
so much of an impression guy. It's that I can do. And uh, if Patrick Warburton, that's the other one. I uh, <laughs> uh, do all of uh, all of the Mario Brothers um, and the Wario's and Waluigi's uh, that uh, from the Mario Party games. I grew up just just mimicking the crap out of those guys all the time. Wow. Well, man, we can't wait for Final Fantasy to 15 to be released on November the 29th on PS4 and on Xbox One. You want to find out more about Ray's other projects, follow him on Twitter at RayChase and, of course, RayChase.com. It's the man himself, Ray Chase. Thanks for joining us this week. Thank you for having me on, guys. You've been great. You know, James, I think no matter how hard we try, no matter how long we grow it out, no matter how much product we put in our hair, we will never have the fanciest of hair like they do in Final Fantasy. No, absolutely not. I mean, that's that's why you need that video game art, because there's no way you're going to be able to achieve that in real life ever. So you might as well live through a character to get it. You might as well. I mean, again, it was fun having Ray Chase on talk about Final Fantasy XV. I am so pumped for this game. I'm so excited for this game. Like, I... I mean, Final Fantasy has been around. We talked about this in the interview with Ray. You know, just it's been around for so long. And to see what they're doing with this, they're changing up the combat a little bit. You know, they're doing some different things. I, I'm excited, man. There's no way you cannot be excited for this game. Absolutely. And as somebody who played Final Fantasy 1 and, and fell in love with the franchise from the beginning, to see it come to the 15th game and have Ray play Noctis and just knock it out of the park. I just think it's going to be amazing. And and this is one of those games that fans have been waiting for for so long, and it looks like they're really getting back to what was what they did right with Final Fantasy for so many years. And this could be the game that kind of is almost like a reawakening for the franchise. It just really it has that vibe. Ever since we've seen it at E3 and stuff like that, it just has that vibe around it. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, I mean, plus, you know, Christmas is coming up soon, next month. So, I mean, hey, you know, instead of a puppy, ask for a chocobo. Yeah, there you go. You could do that. And and make sure you're looking for Milo in the game. You never know. <laughs> those little those little puppy breaths or something could be in the booth with Ray. I'm sure they didn't get cut out. <laughs> I'm sure about that. But that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. And thanks to Ray Chase from Final Fantasy XV for coming on the show and talking about the new game. We are so pumped and amped for it. We cannot wait to get our hands on it and play it. But again, hey, if you want to hit us up on Facebook, we're at facebook.com slash downandnerdy. We're also on Twitter at downandnerdy757. I'm at Merck with one arm. The same thing for my Instagram as well. Again, if you like, ladies, shirtless pics of one-armed men, be sure to hit me up on the Instagram and on the Twitter because I post a lot of my training workout videos and photos from there. So hey, be sure to hit that up. James, where can they find you, my goateed friend? We kid a lot on this show. He's not kidding. I'm not at kidding. All. I'm just put, I'm, I feel like that needs to be pointed out. He is completely and utterly serious. You won't find any shirtless pics of me and you will thank me for that at James Ace with them on Twitter. <laughs> That's W-I-T-H-A-M. Are you sure that your wife isn't just standing in the corner just like with a pair of pliers like they're not fucking post any no if any she'd be the one posting them she <laughs> would be the one putting them up now if, if the closest thing you're going to get is pictures of a toddler and dogs that, <laughs> those are the pictures that you're going to get if you follow me on twitter and that's why i don't have an instagram <laughs> oh god but you know you can always find out anything you need at down and nerdy podcast.com whether it's the comics we reviewed on the, not just on the show but off the show we write reviews on the website as well whatever's going on on the show this week we have a this week section and about us section it's all there at downandnerdypodcast.com I'm really addicted to myself. Look at my Instagram right now. Holy shit. There's so many like it's training. A problem. There's so many training photos and videos of my Instagram. And my You are you are a couple of shirtless pics away from an intervention. I just need to let you know that right now. <laughs> no, I, I'm you see me like a couple years from now I'm be trying like a Matthew McConaughey cult. Yeah, can't you go back to taking pictures of cereal and stuff? <laughs> <laughs> it's just just don't do the whole body shave. Promise me that. I won't do the body okay, shave. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Though I am Italian, so I mean, you know, it, 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 I, I, you know if I go a month, couple months without shaving, I'll like fucking Chewbacca. Well, but here. remember, it would take you a week to go the other way, so. <laughs> <laughs> that's gonna do it everybody thanks for listening but as always press safe complicating and always bag and board your comics <laughs>